Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Nathan Rostenpour, who came to Christ living with his Muslim family in Iran. You need to be in this secret house church just to protect yourself and your family. And um, as a, especially uh, a Muslim background believer is that you can lose your job, you can lose your education, uh, and many things can happen to you. So that's why security is very, very huge and high for us in our ministry. Nathan Rostenpour, next. The origins of Nathan Rostampour's Christian faith trace back to his native Iran. He's now in the U.S. serving as a church planting pastor and a leadership coach with the Summit Church in North Carolina. He's also a registered missionary with Reliant Mission. He recently shared his testimony in the pages of Christianity Today magazine. Nathan, tell us about your upbringing in Tehran. I was born in Tehran, in Iran, the capital city, and... Um, I was born in a Muslim family, so my mom, uh, especially, she was a teacher and she knew a lot about Islam and she would always encourage us to follow the Islamic you know, rules and teachings and love God and do the uh, Muslim prayer. Uh, but um, she, she was so hungry for God that she was searching a lot. Mm. And um, so... That's why finally someday we met someone that shared the gospel with us. But for me as a teenager, I was growing up in a Muslim family in Tehran, Iran, but, and, and my father was not like that religious. Mm-hmm. So uh, as a teenager guy, I, I honestly didn't care about God or you know religion in general because we have a lot of nominal Muslims in Iran. I, I guess I was one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I tried many times to do the prayers and all this stuff, but it kind of didn't work for me. But my mom uh, was really into it. And uh, at the same time, uh, you write in your Christianity Today piece, you, you had a great fear of death. Yes, yes, that was that was real. And that was a, a very bad fear uh, to the point that sometimes I remember I go, uh, I went to uh, my parents' uh, bedroom at night, and I was like checking them if they were breathing, mm-hmm. and it was just so bad. And if, especially um, because afterlife was um, just ambiguity for me, and it, like great fear, because I, I I was questioning myself that what what will happen after I die, and uh, it was very scary uh, for my for me. For my parents and for the whole family, I was thinking, what will happen to us mm-hmm. after death? Does it, and I realize you are not uh, particularly a practicing Muslim per se, or you didn't have a real fervency about it uh, at that time in your life, but uh, what does Islam teach about the afterlife? Uh, sure, they encourage you to be a good person for sure, but there is no uh, guarantee. If you die, you go to directly to heaven. Mm-hmm. So you need to wait for God's judgment and they say in a way that, okay, God will weight your good deeds with bad deeds, and then he needs to judge you. And so because you are not sure, it gives you a great fear in your heart that, okay, so what will happen to me when I die? So mm-hmm. I, 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 I remember I would constantly uh, 
with living in this fear, and it was really bad. Did you know any Christians growing up? I mean, in your circle of friends or in your neighborhood, or did you even have an impression of of Christianity or or, or what it was? Uh, no Christian friends, mm-hmm. uh, not at all. And uh, they, they, in Iran, they usually teach about uh, Christianity just a little bit in religious books, but I mean, like general things and uh, about Jesus and about um, his mother. And they teach that he, he just was a good prophet, one of the uh, greatest prophets, um, but not anything specific about Bible or any verses or any particular teaching from Christianity, just very, they keep it very general. And um, just, and mm-hmm. it was same, same for me. I, I just, mm-hmm. I just, I knew that Jesus was a good prophet and that's it. So nothing really negative per se, you didn't, uh, that you'd heard? Uh, nothing really negative in the schools, but, mm-hmm. but among Muslim communities, if you have, especially some uh, like devoted, strict Muslims, they they say bad things about Christians because mm-hmm. they say that okay, that that is corrupted, and the Bible is corrupted. You shouldn't listen to them. This they they have a lot of you know bad things and bad bad theology, mm-hmm. and um, because they believe that Islam is the most complete um, religion, so that's why they they get yeah, for sure they say bad things. Mm-hmm. Well, tell us how you were first introduced to the Christian faith in Iran. Sure. It was one of our relatives. Um, she um, came to us first when uh, she um, uh, actually heard the gospel from another relative hmm. uh, before. Mm-hmm. And then um, she just you know, came to our house one day and she started to share the gospel with us, and especially uh, with my mom, because she knew that my mom was a teacher and she, she was really into Islam. So um, I, I, I just remember the, the verses that she was using and the uh, statements were so powerful. And especially the statement that I also wrote in my article in Christianity Today that she said that Jesus can set you guys free. Jesus can give you life. Jesus can give you eternal life. And all those words was kind of medicine to my soul. That, that fear inside of me. Lord was touching me and was healing me mm. as she was sharing the scripture uh, with us. And um, it, it was just amazing. I, I remember I just went to my room after that, those conversations and I, I found myself on my knees talking to Jesus. And I, with those limited knowledge, I, I just said, Jesus, I don't know much, but I know that you are God, you are Lord. Uh, save me, save me and save my family. And honestly, that was my short, simple salvation prayer. And right after that, Holy Spirit started to work in me in my, in my mom. And um, she started to sing dreams and ma- many things uh, happened to us. And, and then she, uh, I, I remember a day that um, uh, she shared with me that how she gave her heart to Jesus watching the Jesus movie that that relative gave to us. Mm. And the, at the end of Jesus movie, they have this salvation prayer and she, yeah, she did it. And then after that, uh, I, I, you know, I had this courage to also share with my mom that yes, I'm also a Christian. <laughs> I also wanted to do it. So I already prayed. So let's go to a church. And then we went to a church in um, Tehran, Iran. And uh, they prayed for us. They, we, we gave our heart to Jesus, my mom, my younger bro- brother, and me. 
and and then we found out that my father had become a Christian even before us. Really, and he, and he actually didn't share it with my mom because he knew that uh, my mom, you know, uh, he was worried about the, her reaction uh, because that specific relative was in uh, my father's side. So hmm. they had been praying for us for two, three years. Uh, and uh, waiting for that moment that uh, sh- they can share with my mom first. And then, uh, yeah, God saved us. That's amazing. Well, my guest is Nathan Rostamporn. We're talking about how he came to faith in Christ uh, and his upbringing in Iran a number of years ago. His uh, testimony, he wrote about it for Christianity Today magazine, Salvation Came to My Iranian Household. Your your entire family uh became Christians. Was that over, was that all in a sort of a, uh, you, your your brother and your mother, was that all in sort of short order, or did that happen over a, a period of time? Just a short period of time, mm. personally, for each of us, mm-hmm. but in a, in the same day, we went to a church, and they officially, you know, laid hands on us, and we prayed a prayer with them, because we had no idea how to repent, or how, what we should say, or anything. But, but just very simply, um, we gave our heart to the Lord, but they did it kind of official for us in the same day. And that relative, I think you mentioned she, a female, what, what was her reaction when, uh, I mean, she was probably, again, waiting for that time to share with you and didn't know how you would react. <laughs> would you get angry? I mean, what would you do? And here you all become Christians. Yeah, when we told her, they just rejoiced with us. They celebrated it, and um, and then they actually connected us to some secret house churches in Tehran, and because they already uh, have a like a network, mm. uh, so yeah, they they just enjoyed uh, the the time we shared with them this good news, and they rejoiced with us. You mentioned uh, she connected you with some secret house churches. In Iran, can you tell us about that? Why do they need to be secret? What is the presence of the Christian church there in Iran? Sure. Um, we have um, Muslim background believers like me, and also we have Assyrian Christians and Armenian Christians in Iran, hmm. which they are born as Christian, and they have this religion, you know, as a traditional family religion. And between, I mean, among them also we have like born-again Christians and just kind of nominal Christians for sure. But if you are Armenian or Assyrian in Iran, so you're allowed to go to building churches and, you know, worship. And, uh, but the government tell, usually tell those churches not to preach or worship in Farsi or Persian language. So they need to do it in Ar- either Armenian language or Assyrian language. Hmm. But... We used to have some building churches that also uh, Muslim background believers like me were allowed to go to those buildings in a specific day and hear the sermons in Farsi and worship in Farsi. But in 2010, they uh, arrested some of our pastors and they, they shut down uh, many buildings. And so after that, uh, all the secret house churches started growing. And I, I believe that it was the will of God to let that, that happen because right after that, uh, just boom, the, the Christianity was uh, exploding. The, the, the multiplication of those cell groups and house churches was amazing. And now, right now, it's just a continuation of that movement that it's, it's growing and growing. And then um, uh, we, we, were, we were one of those families that they connected us to secret house churches. So we would get together with 
uh, a couple of more families and usually less than 10 people in each home group just for for the sake of security mm -hmm. and then we would have worship sermons in farsi we would uh, have fellowship and then uh, also we, we would attend like intensive teaching material um, teaching seminars discipleship leadership and then because we need to train as many as leaders that you can to multiply these groups so um now nowadays i'm kind of doing the same thing but uh yeah the movement is growing so when you say there are secret house churches is there is there some aspect some threat to to the people that attend them i mean is there something i i don't know if the right word is illegal about them uh, is there a, is there a threat of arrest or or something worse yeah, definitely. Definitely it's illegal based on the Islamic rules uh, that they have in Iran, uh, because um, the Islamic rules, theology and Quran says that if you're converted from Islam to Christianity, um, they can easily or either kill you or um, uh, put you in jail for a long, long term. So uh, death penalty, imprisonment, and they uh, sometimes uh, can fine you and you need to bail yourself out of the jail. like great amount of money and um nowadays unfortunately we have many christians in prison in iran right now and um and some some of them they don't have much money to bail themselves out so mm. they, they just have to be there yeah unfortunately and it's sad um but um but that's why you need to be in this secret house churches to protect yourself and your family and um as a especially uh, a muslim background believer is that you can lose your job, you can lose your education, uh, and many things can happen to you. So that's why security is very, very huge and high for us in our ministry. Well, uh, Nathan, tell us, uh, you, you, at some point, you began traveling to Christian conferences. Was that, was that from Iran as well? And you began to then bring that, uh, what, what you learned back to the church in Iran? Yes, I was uh, one of the these house church leaders for almost ten years. I would um, work with different organizations. One of them, one of the main ones, was um, Open Doors International. Mm. That they would take us out of the country. We would have um, intensive discipleship and also and later leadership, church leadership um, courses. And for instance, we would cover a, a big book in a in a week, like. 8 in the morning till 10 p.m. sometimes every day for a week and then I took um, I would take the material back to Iran and teach it to my uh, soul groups so um, for 10 years I served as a, a house church pastor in Iran I would super, uh, supervise a couple of different locations in Tehran and other cities and um, uh, yeah we were growing until the day that uh, the government arrested one of my friends and I had to escape the country and uh, live my, you know, friends, family, and house churches mm. all behind and come out. Very difficult. Uh, and so, at least for a while, you were able to move freely uh, out of Iran to these conferences, wherever they might have been. Is this would this be to the United States or other Western countries? Uh, no, usually like safe countries mm. close to Iran. Yeah, and so that that you were able to move back and forth. What was yeah. your path to? the u.s once you left how did you end up over here yeah i just went to uh turkey and became a christian refugee through united nations mm. and then i stayed there for two years and i continued my ministry over there between the persian people 
because there are and still there are uh, a great population of Persian um, Iranian uh, refugees over there. And they have all kinds of different cases, religious, social, and um, and and you know political. But th that's a great opportunity for us to share the gospel with these people because they are they are hopeless, they are full fear. So um, um, now, even nowadays, I I'm reaching those people as well in Turkey because that's a great field for our ministry. So I stayed there for two years, and then through United Nations. And then they transferred us to the um, United States in 2013. And uh, yeah, I've been here since since then. How do you like it so far? Or do you like it? Right? What do you think of the U.S.? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's my country. I'm a proud citizen right now. I, I love it. I'm blessed here. And uh, I always tell my friends that uh, I re really treasure this freedom that we have here. But still, I'm praying, Lord, uh, please help me. Don't forget uh that what is my ministry and what's my calling and uh don't let this freedom um just make me you know right uh, so too safe that i forget my calling yeah so that's why i re every day i connect with our people and our leaders in iran mm. you'd mentioned something interesting uh so, sort of in passing uh, when we talked about when you came to christ that uh your family had experienced numerous things like dreams and my understanding is that in the muslim world it seems that god will often work through people's Muslim people's dreams to uh, introduce them to Christ. Is Did your family experience that to some extent? Uh, sure. I experienced it. My mom hmm. also uh, hmm. experienced it in different, different dreams. I don't know why, but God is uh, communicating with yeah. um, usually Eastern people in generally in Asia many, many times through uh, dreams. And I think maybe one of the reasons, because in those areas of the world, people are really into, you know, supernatural things, and there are so many different religions, and they 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 really want to feel something or see something or the, at least experience something spiritual to to feel mm -hmm. uh, something about that, uh, you know, knowledge that you're transferring to them. It's just not, um, and because you know. Also, they are from a honor and shame culture. So all these things are very important. And yeah, God did it uh, to us as well. And uh, I, I, I personally had one dream that I also mentioned in my article that I, I saw myself, myself standing on a stage. I was sharing with millions of people. And uh, in, in that spe specific dream, uh, I asked the Lord that, Lord, where am I? I only have... Uh, couple of house churches and i and uh you know maximum like 100 200 people not more than that and what is that millions of people that i'm sharing and then the voice of the lord in that um i didn't see anybody just it was a voice and i knew that it was the it was god's voice that he told me that you went you will be in another country to be equipped and come back and serve my people and then um i remember in one of the programs that we were producing for social media and for, for also satellite TV, it was a house church show that I was leading and producing. And uh, right on, on that moment in that specific day, I remember that uh, that dream that God gave me. And I was talking to millions of people in Iran on TV and on social media. And mm. uh, Lord reminded me that Nathan, now you're preaching and talking to those millions of people. And I was, 
really, really uh, wow. thankful for that moment. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you are described, or at least uh, in Christianity Today, uh, in your in the bio, it says you're a church planting pastor, leadership coach with the Summit Church in North Carolina. I'm wondering if you can describe uh, your your ministry today. Um, it's got many dimensions to it: social media and other things. Sure, um, my ministry has two main um, um, sections. One, the first one is my ministry on social media and in the production world. So we produce. Um, uh, teachings, video, audio, worship songs. Uh, w- with my wife, we have a online church on Instagram every Sunday that we broadcast uh, sermons and worship services in Farsi to Iran, Afghanistan, and Tajikistan, which are three Persian-speaking countries. And we get a lot of audience from Iran and you know Muslims and Christians. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, so this is one one of the sides of this ministry, and the other side is our church planting. Uh, ministry that I am connected with our leaders that uh, we are working with them in Iran and we are actually planting house churches, secret house churches. Now I am sharing the experience that I had in Iran uh, for almost 10 years with these uh, young leaders. And uh, we are now in 20 uh, different locations in Iran. And um, God gave us a vision to have at least one secret house church in each Iranian provinces. Iran has 31 provinces. And now we are already in six provinces in 20 different locations. So we are praying for 25 more provinces that God yeah, will, uh, will give us in Jesus' name. And we, we are planting uh, house churches. So I am partnered with Summit Church uh, and Pastor J.D. Greer. They are amazing. Uh, and I love my church. And also I am a registered uh, missionary through Reliant Mission. And I am in charge of uh, directing this whole network in Iran. Uh, and uh, I also I'm uh, um, I'm responsible to raise a fund for this ministry through Reliant Mission. So if uh, uh, your listeners are interested to go and check more about ministry, first of all, they can read that article in Christianity Today or go to Reliant.org backslash Nathan Rostam for my name. So Reliant.org uh, and Reliant Missions, they are they will they take care of my HR part of you know ministry. Uh, so this is a great partnership, and we're working on it, and um, God is blessing us, and uh, these house churches are growing, and um, I'm praying that if even we can hire full-time missionaries inside of the country, and um, people can join us, partner with us, and we can uh, just help this movement to grow fast, uh, fast and faster in Iran. And also, I am on Twitter and Facebook. Just they can uh, search my name, Nathan Rostampur. And I definitely can uh, send you some links, and you can just put it under the description later if you want. So Rostampour, R-O-S-T-A-M-P-O-U-R. P-O-U-R, correct. Okay. And I know our time is going quickly here, but I did want to ask you, and I know there's this is not a, a simple question, and it's not a one-size-fits-all, but say, for example, if you have a Muslim friend, neighbor, family member, any suggestions on... Uh, your, your, you know, your your relative did it one way, uh, but is, is there any any approach that you would recommend that might be generally acceptable to share Christ? Sure. Um, if I, I just wanted to make it make it short, um, but useful for our friends and our your audience, if you have a Muslim friend or a Muslim neighbor, please let them first know that you are 
loving them with God's love and you're not trying to convert them. So uh, as soon as you talk with them in a way that they feel that you want to convert them, uh, they, they, they pull up their guards and it's natural. Mm-hmm. We, I, I would do the same thing. Yeah. So we are called to love them. We are called to show them the love of Christ in our daily actions. So invite them to your house for a warm meal. Just go and help them. How And especially and nowadays in the United States, we get a lot of uh, refugees uh, from Afghanistan or different Muslim countries. That's a great opportunity. W- one of the things that we're doing actually in Summit Church here in North Carolina we invite these Afghan refugees and give them warm meals and also do, you know, music. They, they, we, we help them um, do their paperwork for their, um, um, you know, green card or other stuff. So sure. with, with this, they know that uh, you, we are living what we believe. And this is the greatest way to share the gospel with the Muslim. And then uh, let them also see you how to worship uh, you you worship god just invite them to your uh, church services and maybe a last thing that i uh, would like to add every single muslim love to pray so if you uh, ask a muslim can i pray for you 99 percent they say yes please do it so mm. offer prayers just bless them pray for them for their family and uh, just leave the rest to the Holy Spirit. And uh, just sort of as a footnote, um, you mentioned in your Christianity Today piece, your, your father died obviously a number of years ago. Of course, you'd all become Christians, and so that fear of death, the fear of your parents dying, that was all uh, taken care of by the gospel. That was all, amen, that was all gone. Uh, Jesus healed me, Jesus set me free, and I remember the day that uh, we did the ceremony for my father. Um, I would go to people and calm them down, pray for them. Mm-hmm. And it was a miracle just seeing myself standing strong, looking up and looking at heaven. And I was smiling and talking to Jesus. And I would tell him, you know, sentences like, Jesus, I know that my father is with you. So I praise you. I, I know it's hard. I, I, I will miss my father mm-hmm. so much, but I know that he is safe. And now the same, same thing. I have missed him so, so much. But I know that what I'm doing, what's my calling, and someday soon I will see him again. Well, Nathan, as we conclude here today, how can we pray for you and your ministry and even uh, the church in uh, Iran? Um, First of all, please pray for the protection of our networks in Iran. And um, they have many different needs, Uh, not only financial needs. They uh, they need teaching materials. They need... um, um, I, I just talked with um, some of my friends here that we need to translate some materials for Sunday schools in Iran for kids. So there are many different needs that um, if, if people wants to uh, maybe follow me on Twitter or Facebook, I regularly give updates about our ministry. Um, but uh, the, I, I think the main thing is protection and provision uh, in many different areas and including financial needs. And also please pray for our ministry here. Uh, my wife and I are uh, reaching these people so that God help us to uh, train more leaders and, um, um, and we get to meet them in safe countries around Iran. We, we are planning to take many people out and baptize them soon. So please pray for all those uh, trips and mission trips that we are going to have with these amazing people. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Nathan Rostampour. 
a church planting pastor and a leadership coach with the Summit Church in North Carolina. He's also a registered missionary with Reliant Mission. Go to reliant.org. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Stephen Ortiz shining a light on the fascinating and at times misunderstood field of biblical archaeology. You know, you got this, the Hollywood of the Indiana Jones book. Right. Everybody wants to go and discover Noah's Ark and discover this and discover the five stones of, of David. And those are the charlatans. Those are the ones that are like, you're not really doing the research. Mm-hmm. Everybody goes for two weeks. They, they discover something. They write a book about it. <laughs> and they go to churches and talk about it. And you go like, if you're a real archaeologist, you know it takes years mm-hmm. to produce research. That's tomorrow at the same time right here on His People. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.